Hello, and welcome to Screaming in the Cloud with your host, cloud economist Corey Quay. This weekly show features conversations with people doing interesting work in the world of cloud, thoughtful commentary on the state of the technical world, and ridiculous titles for which Corey refuses to apologize. This is Screaming in the Cloud. This week's episode of Screaming in the Cloud is generously sponsored by DigitalOcean. I would argue that every cloud platform out there biases for different things. Uh, Some bias for having every feature you could possibly want offered as a managed service at varying degrees of maturity. Others bias for, hey, we heard there's some money to be made in the cloud space. Uh, Can you give us some of it? DigitalOcean biases for neither. Uh, To me, they optimize for simplicity. I polled some friends of mine who are avid DigitalOcean supporters about why they're using it for various things, and they all said more or less the same thing. Other offerings have a bunch of shenanigans with root access and IP addresses, and DigitalOcean makes it all simple. In 60 seconds, you have root access to a Linux box with an IP. That's a direct quote, uh, albeit with profanity about other providers taken out. DigitalOcean also offers fixed price offerings. Uh, You always know what you're going to wind up paying this month, so you don't wind up having a minor heart issue when the bill comes in. Their services are also understandable without spending three months going to cloud school. You don't have to worry about going very deep to understand what you're doing. It's click button or make an API call, and you receive a cloud resource. They also include very understandable monitoring and alerting. And lastly, they're not exactly what I would call small time. Over 150,000 businesses are using them today. So go ahead and give them a try. Uh, Visit do.co slash screaming, and they'll give you a free $100 credit to try it out. That's do.co slash screaming. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for their support of Screaming in the Cloud. Hello, and welcome to Screaming in the Cloud. This week, I'm joined by Daniel Compton, who is an independent consultant based in New Zealand. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time to be here. So you came to my notice a few weeks back when there was a bit of a kerfuffle with respect to GCP turning off a customer that they thought was doing something, I guess, a little out of bounds. And it led to internet outrage. People are always mad. Google wound up posting a uh, whole in-depth explanation of what happened, what they're doing to prevent this happening in the future. And that led me to a blog post that you not only have been writing, but been maintaining actively. And I'll throw a link to it in the show notes. But it comes from a perspective of looking at Google Cloud Platform, GCP, from the perspective of someone who is also familiar with AWS. I mean, there have been comparisons like this before, but most of them tend to come from people with a particular horse in the race. You partner with neither company, you're effectively an independent third-party observer, and I thought that you had one of the best write-ups that I've ever seen from that perspective and wanted to pick your brain. Thanks, yeah. So as far as that, I guess... Unfortunate circumstance where Google wound up uh, turning a customer off. What happened there for those who aren't familiar? Sure. So uh, there was a a company, I don't think we ever found out exactly who they were, but it sounded like they were doing some work, industrial work with uh, windmills and big big machinery and they were running uh, some of it on Google Cloud. And they got got an alert saying, "Your, your project has been shut down because of something 
something that doesn't look right about it and we're scheduled to turn everything off within three days uh, and that clearly uh, scared them and they you know were trying to contact Google and there were no contact numbers and it was you know the, the same kind of story that we've seen on Google's consumer services for many years now uh, but you know now applied to Google Cloud where the stakes are considerably higher. And so uh, they posted the, a blog post about it and you know this uh, you know, turned into a big thing, uh, got a lot of negative attention for Google Cloud and so they posted some responses uh, at the time uh, about it. And, and the big one that, that came up, there were, well, there, were, there were a few recommendations that came up. Uh, the first one was uh, you should use enterprise billing. Uh, from Google Cloud, which was a feature I'd never heard of until this time, uh, where it's a it's a way where you get go through extra verification, and they promise not to shut you down if they detect something bad is going on, and uh, that's that's something. But uh, when I went to look into that, uh, that costs uh, you've got to be paying at least two and a half thousand dollars a month to to qualify for that, uh, which you know, which I wasn't, uh, and. I suspect many, many people uh, using Google Cloud aren't. Uh, and uh, the other, the other suggestions were to add a phone number to your Google Cloud account, add another credit card as a backup, uh, and pretty critically, um, get a support contract with Google Cloud. And when all of that fell out, it's despite the internet rage machine that likes to kick off on Hacker News or on Twitter and drag people under the bus, and I admit that I'm occasionally guilty of participating in that myself, that there's that it's a sympathetic problem in that you run a hosting platform that gives access to all kinds of different customers, which means that effectively anyone with a stolen credit card number can spin up large quantities of resources and begin doing terrible things with it. And shutting down anything that has a hint of suspicion to it is obviously not a great plan, but also being completely permissive to whatever you want to do on the platform is just fine, leads to everyone blocking your network at their own border, and that doesn't work either. So it's a spectrum, and where you fall on that spectrum is a very difficult problem to solve for. And I do have an awful lot of sympathy for this. I thought that their mea culpa that they gave in a formal blog post about how this happened, what they were planning on doing and to, in order to prevent this in the future, was reasonable. It felt like they were starting to understand the level of concern this rightly causes with people who are running production infrastructure on top of their platform. Uh, my question for you as someone who's been looking at Google as an outsider for a while now is do you think that that's going to stick, first off? And secondly, why does it take something going this far afield to get Google to acknowledge that type of thing? Yeah, so I, I definitely think it is going to stick. It's clearly gotten enough attention that they're, they're making changes internally to prevent this from ever happening again. And yeah, it's definitely going to cost them. It's all, I'm sure it's already cost them customers and it's going to cost them customers for, for several years now, you know, that kind of reputational damage isn't repaired quickly. And so, you know, Google's got got a long way to go to, you know, the, the number of people who saw that blog post would be, you know, a tenth, maybe a hundredth of the people who saw Google Cloud shuts down your your account. So just, you know, just from that point of view, they've got, got a long way to go to repair that, repair that damage. Uh, and I think there's, 
there's some some cultural issues that Google has inherited or Google Cloud has inherited from Google, the, the consumer organization, um, where you know these kinds of things were what they had to do to scale, or at least that's what they chose to do to be able to scale up to their to their current growth. And so there's there's some behaviors like that which uh, you know just just don't fly. Uh, in the enterprise uh, market, and you know they're learning painfully uh, that they need to change some of those those things. One question that always leaps to my mind is, and this might be an unfair characterization, but it's always felt to some extent like Google focuses on writing services aimed purely at developers who are similar to developers who would be found at Google. It seems they struggle to put themselves in the shoes of, for example corporate enterprise IT shops or companies whose entire ethos does not necessarily revolve around technology. Is that an unfair stereotype in your experience? I don't know if that would be an unfair stereotype. I think Google Cloud definitely has a, a particular philosophy and product design bent, uh, and that's that's different to AWS, and uh, we can talk a little bit more about that um, if you like. But that definitely you know does mean that depending on the perspective you're coming from, some things are going to be more suited to you from AWS or perhaps Google Cloud. Well, you've now gone into a fairly deep dive on both AWS and on Google Cloud. So based upon that, and you, and you go into this in extreme levels of depth in that blog post, but at a high level, what is your takeaway? So... At a high level, my my main takeaway is uh, that Google Cloud is uh, has has a few key design decisions that that really set it apart from from AWS. Uh, the big one is uh, from a developer's perspective uh, the the focus on global resources rather than regional ones. Uh, what I mean by that is that in AWS, uh, pretty much everything you do not. Not ex- not entirely everything, but most things you do are scoped to a region or perhaps even a zone, uh, and so that means that you know all of your resources are stuck within that zone. And if you ever want to cross out into other regions, then you know that, that can be quite a lot of work to you know egress those points. Uh, whereas Google Cloud um, has uh, instead architected their system to be sort of global by default. Uh, most of the the resources you use uh, are global. Well, certainly many of many of the resources are global. Things like disk images, the the view in the in the console you can see across all of the regions at, at a single time. The key management services that you use. Uh, so that's that's kind of a big big thing from a developer's point of view, uh, especially if you're looking to to run across multiple regions. I found that the counterpoint to that shared control plane where everything is global is that it does open the door for outages that are world spanning. When you have a harsh boundary at the different region level, yeah, you might wind up losing Oregon or Virginia, but the other and the rest of the world is generally going to be okay. In fact, I don't believe that in the past 12 years, we've seen a single global service outage for virtually anything that AWS has done. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely the trade-off. And in fact, just two weeks ago, there was about a half an hour or so outage um, that was on the the network, uh, the HTTP load balancers, which also affected uh, Stackdriver, their monitoring service, and uh, a few other things there too. So, yeah, for clarity, that was a uh, outage over on the GCP side. I'll throw a link to that in the show notes as well, as far as the postmortem that came out of that. 
Yeah, and so so that's that's the trade off really. Um, that that they're promising a lot there, and you definitely need to. Um, I guess you you've got a higher level of uh, dependence on them. Uh, you know, if those load balances go down, there's there's you know very little you can do. Um, you know, at the time when I was you know I'm running depths in production on Google Cloud, and so during that outage, I was looking, do I you know just bypass the load balances entirely and redirect stuff um, to to the instances um, to to work around it and you know luckily the uh, everything sort of came back quickly enough but uh, that, that was a little bit of a little bit of a scary moment <laughs> absolutely oh by the way everything's broken it'll be fixed soon even if true is for some use cases can be absolutely terrifying it's well we have paying customers and we're losing money by the minute so what's going on is the natural immediate panic reaction for most of us yeah yeah um, and so that's you know, I'm sure they're going to learn from that. And there's been, you know, before before I was using you know Google Cloud really seriously. I know um, in years past they've also had uh, some some outages on the, you know on the network load balancer. So that's definitely a, a risk you take, and yeah, it's one that I'm happy to to take at the moment um, for the for the features and benefits that it provides. But yeah, it's definitely something I keep keep my eye on. So today, let's pretend that. You're a new customer. You're about to build out a thing, and it, the time has come to pick a cloud provider. And you narrow it down to GCP or AWS. Is there a clear winner today? I don't think there's a, there's a clear winner for you know for, for everybody. One, I don't think either strictly dominates the other. Um, and, and I think the the things that you need to think about are firstly, what are your what are your values? Um, you know, as a company, what are sort of the the principles and the things that you you really value? Uh, what are your internal capabilities? Um, and what is your workload like that you're trying to run on it? Um, because there's there's some specialty things uh, in both AWS and GCP that if they if they fit your workload, you know, they, they can be gold. Um, and so. So yeah, those are really the, the the big differences. And certainly from a from a an ease of management perspective, I, I would say Google Cloud definitely wins wins there. Um, you look at the ever widening number of different instance types on AWS, and you know Google Cloud has thus far managed to keep things you know much much simpler. There's just a single, basically an undifferentiated. Uh, vCPUs and memory that you can choose you can choose the processor family that you want if you really want to although they don't really sort of push you down that path too much and then you just choose how many CPUs do you want how much memory do you want and you can pick just about anything on that uh, configuration space that you'd like yeah but as a counterpoint if you go down that path how are you going to kill two and a half months doing RI calculations <laughs> Yeah, that and, and and that pricing, the, the the pricing in Google Cloud is just a lot simpler to to calculate and understand, and they continue to make things uh, simpler and easier for for people um, all the time on that on that perspective. So that's uh, yeah, probably not so great for your for your business where you try and help people understand their their crazy AWS bills. <laughs> Believe me, I wish there wasn't a need for my business. There are many things I would rather do instead. <laughs> So when it comes time to pick a provider, what factors should people really consider when they're trying to decide, let's say, between GCP and AWS? I mean, it's a big decision that's kind of hard to unwind. 
Yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely a big decision, and um, you're right that it's hard to unwind. You know, there's there's talk of you know multi cloud, and I guess for for some you know super large companies that makes sense, but uh, for many people, you know, the the costs um, and the you know limiting yourself to the the lowest common denominator just really makes that not not possible. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I would look at yeah you know, what's what your team what your team has experience in. Uh, what uh, you know, what kind of resources you need, where they're running, where the regions are that they that they're running in. Yeah, it's it's not an easy not an easy decision, and I I spent probably far more time than I I would like to admit uh, evaluating you know Google Cloud and AWS and a few other cloud providers um, before I settled on Google Cloud. So a common I guess criticism that some people who may or may not be me have levied against Google historically. Uh, among them have been their propensity to end of life things that people are using. The other side of that coin is that AWS will launch a new service and that service effectively is going to be the trunkless legs of stone in the desert or uh, king of kings, look upon my works, ye mighty of despair. That service is still running after the apocalypse. And that tends to wind up pushing people in um, one direction or another. I mean, it does definitely bloat and complicate the AWS service catalog, but it does feel like you can rely on anything that AWS launches to a degree that you can't potentially do with GCP. Thoughts? Yeah, so so I think there's I think it's important to distinguish the the consumer Google from the Google Cloud. Um, so consumer Google. You know, shutting down products is something they do, you know, relatively often, and they you know pay for it every time. You know, in the on on Hacker News comments. Um, oh yes, I mean, mean tweets are absolutely something that every uh, product manager should take into <laughs> deep consideration. Will this offend someone on the internet before we do it? Oh yeah, that 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 should drive all the corporate decision making. Yeah, um, and so Google Clouds. Um, to my knowledge, I don't think they've shut. Once something's become general availability, I don't think anything's been been removed or shut down from there um, but as you say they shut down products um, they've shut down other products in the past and people from the outside look at Google and they don't distinguish necessarily between Google Cloud and Google they just see Google shuts down services it's the same logo everywhere yeah it's the same same logo everywhere and so they think well how can I trust Google Cloud um, you know are they going to shut down you know some of the services that I rely on or um, you know, just almost almost as bad. Are they going to raise the price on me forty times, uh, or you know, whatever the, the the recent Google Maps price increase was? You know, these these are sort of unforced errors uh, from my perspective that uh, you know are going to cost them a lot. Whereas AWS, you know, just isn't making those errors, and they they pay for it in complexity uh, certainly. But uh, from a business perspective, I think usually people would prefer to be able to just rely on something to know that it's going to be there and it's never going to get more expensive and only ever gets cheaper. Uh, and yeah, that's that's something that AWS has has done really well. Absolutely. Uh, the challenge too, and this sounds like a bit of a um, backhanded compliment in some ways, and it's not intended that way, but GCP has built out a smaller set of services that are 
relatively easy to get started with as opposed to, oh, I'm going to spin up something new in AWS. I've never heard of it before. Let's see what happens. Oh my God, I'm staring at a list of 120 services. I don't know what any of them do. I'm going to go raise goats (laughs) instead. There's something to be said for being more straightforward in your offering and much more defined in messaging. Do you find that that's resonating? I mean, right now, I look at an AWS console and I have a decent idea of what I'm looking at because I've been institutionalized for 12 years of staring at these things. But for someone who's new, I don't see that that's there. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I've haven't been looking at AWS for, for 12 years, but I can look at the console and get a, a reasonable understanding of what I can look at and what I can ignore. Uh, but definitely for someone coming in coming in cold, uh, there's there's a lot of stuff there and just even getting getting your your bearings to even understand where you should be looking or what you should be doing there is you know, is, is a big job and so that's that's one of the things where I think Google cloud is is it's stronger for me I'll say that um, you know maybe not for everybody maybe some people prefer the AWS perspective but certainly for for smaller teams or teams who want things to be be more simple you you generally get a smaller set of well-built flexible primitives rather than you know aws's 18 different queuing services which all are slightly different and you know you, they're all relevant in in slightly different contexts uh, google cloud just has one and so that's that's kind of the uh, probably the best example i have of of the different uh, product philosophies there on in simplicity i would also argue that there might be a company ethos discussion here with respect to how each company respectively views its customers. Google, it seems to me, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong in my assessment, that they believe that most of the world should write software the way that Google engineers tend to write software. And that's not inherently a bad thing. Google software engineers are incredible. The counterpoint is that if you take a look across the entire ecosystem, not every developer writes software like they work at Google to the same uh, network design principles, to the same baseline level of quality to from the same perspective. Conversely, it feels like Amazon throws out a lot of ridiculous but closely related services in an effort to meet customers where they are. Is that a fair characterization? I, I don't know if, if I would say Google expects you to write software in that way, but I think they're definitely... Uh, Google Cloud is is definitely moving in a direction where they're giving you the tools that you can write software in the way that Google does. You know, the global stuff, uh, global load balancers, things that span span the world. These are you know these are primitives that Google uses internally, and you know uses them to to run you know massive massive fleets of software. And so they're you know one of the the promises or the you know the the dreams of of Google Cloud is that you too can write software uh, that that runs like Google. I would say also that AWS you know has a has a product philosophy that you have to buy into. Uh, it's just a different one, and it's probably more flexible. You know, I'd, I'd give them that. Uh, but but underneath there's there's a sort of a, a meta point I wanted to make about the, the ethos, uh, which is that. Um, Last last few weeks, uh, I've been looking at uh, AWS Athena, uh, which is a uh, hosted uh, Presto uh, service uh, from from Amazon, where you can put a bunch of data in S3 and query it uh, in you know super fast speeds. And we discovered a a bug 
that affected the the billing of of the service. And so it's charged by the number of bytes read. And if you uh, touch particular column types or column definitions in your queries, um, it ends up co- costing you to to read the whole partition. And uh, I was talking with my boss about this, and I, I, I came away and realized that I had you know complete faith that AWS was going to do the right thing eventually and fix the bug and bring the pricing down for us. There was kind of no no question in my mind that uh, AWS is going to yeah. You know, my my perspective of them is they they're always trying to work for the customer, bring the price down, and it's not that Google Cloud doesn't have that. It's just they don't have the reputation uh, and those many years of of proving it behind them. So uh, there's there's kind of a maybe an empty corporate identity uh, on the Google Cloud side. Um, you know who's the who's the Jeff Bar of of Google Cloud? Uh, yeah, I don't really see anyone there, and I think that's something that they they would do well to to develop. Absolutely. The counterpoint, of course, is that credit where due. They broke the mold when they made Jeff Bar. <laughs> yes, yes, they're, they're not going to uh, easily find an, another one of them around. So a common, I guess, observation has been that Google's feature set is in some ways behind AWS. And that's not surprising in that for the first five years that AWS existed, the other major players more or less ignored them for whatever reason. And they had a tremendous head start. Now, in some cases, that let them iterate and advance very quickly. In other cases, that let them go on exciting journeys into discovering exactly what didn't work. Simple DB, I'm looking at you. Uh, how does How do you feel that GCP is going about catching up in that context? So, so when I started writing uh, my blog post, I, I started it in around January of this year, and and I had a bunch of uh, complaints in there, and I was uh, sort of had drafted it all out, had sort of the, all of the the things I wanted to talk about, uh, but didn't sort of flesh it flesh it all the way through. And every couple of weeks or so, um, a, a new announcement from Google Cloud would come up, and it would invalidate one of the points in my in my post, and I would. <laughs> I would be be frustrated because I go, ah, oh, well, that was something I was going to talk about, and now it's just a a non issue. And so, I, I think I've I've been, uh, you know, at least from the sort of, yeah, I'm a small scale developer. I'm not an enterprise developer, and I don't have a ton of insight into what enterprises are looking for from Google. But at least for at least from my perspective, it definitely seems like they understand where they need to catch up and they're they're doing so they're you know continuing to iterate and release release the features um, there is definitely a feature gap there and and I think they are you know working their best to uh, c- catch up uh, the, the challenge for them though is that AWS is not standing still they are accelerating um, much you know faster faster than Google is at the moment uh, honestly and you know reinvent is you know not that far away and you know, you can just you can only imagine what you know bountiful pleasures uh, amazon's going to give us um, <laughs> oh yes i've been hinted to by little birds that there should be more than one new service launching which i'm i'm sure is now going to take the entire world by <laughs> storm wait they're going to release new things they're not declaring victory with their with what they have now and moving on to selling something else i mean that that tends to be <laughs> maybe uh, Oh, absolutely. Or serviceless. They just go down to none of them. Aurora serverless, maybe. Maybe that'll launch. <laughs> so 
I, I do encourage listeners to take uh, about 20 minutes or so and go through your blog post. It is a fantastic point-by-point dissection of what GCP is good at, what GCP is not terrific at, and a nuanced critique of both aspects. It's, it's really nice to see something like this. That, yeah, I don't see it too often, which is why I'm so glad that you could clear time on your schedule and the stars align to finally uh, put both of us on a call at the same time. Uh, where else can people go to hear your impressive thought leading? Sure. Well, I'm not sure about thought leading, uh, but I do write a weekly newsletter about the closure programming language uh, called at theripple.net. Uh, and I run a private Maven repository service, um, the one that's using Google Cloud. At uh, it's called Deps, and it's at Deps.co. Uh, so yeah, those are those are two ways you can see see what I'm up to. Wonderful. I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. I want to thank you once again for joining me. This has been Daniel Compton, an independent software consultant who focuses on closure and large scale systems. I'm Corey Quinn, and this is Screaming in the Cloud. This has been this week's episode of Screaming in the Cloud. You can also find more Corey at ScreamingInTheCloud.com or wherever fine snark is sold.